Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, welcome to the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. This is Dan Wetzel. We're discussing Urban Meyer, the toxic culture with the University of Maryland football, and Pat's trip to a sewage museum in Japan. See what that's all about. Now, Pat and I have been podcasting at Yahoo for years. At one point, we hosted a national radio show on Yahoo Sports Radio. But now we welcome Pete Thamel, one of the great college sports reporters in America, to join us for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Pete, you are here to class things up for Pat and I, so be classy. I'm just, I'm just a third wheel along for the ride, Dan. <laughs> it's a three-wheeled car right now, believe me. Yeah. Hey, the Yahoo Sports Podcast Network is growing. Uh, not only are we debuting today, Therese Paler and Charles Robinson are starting the Yahoo Sports NFL Podcast, another creative name. First <laughs> show features interview with Cowboys receiver Cole Beasley, who's starting a rapping career. Oh, God. I did not know DJ Cole was out there. Also, check out Yahoo Fantasy Podcast that started last week with a monster roundtable discussion, the 2018 fantasy season. Of course, there's the Yahoo Sports MLB Podcast, huh? featuring Jeff Pass and Tim Brown and Mike Oz. Uh, they debuted back in April, been very popular. All these shows can be found on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts. We're everywhere. Uh, all right, look, main story, pre- season's coming, but all anyone's talking about right now uh, remains Urban Meyer and Ohio State investigation. Uh, it's still ongoing as we speak. A couple revelations lately. Uh, Monday, it was revealed by the Toledo Blade that Zach Smith, the assistant coach, who was accused of domestic abuse on multiple occasions, was also arrested in a club in a suburb in 2013 for DUI. Now, Zach Smith's lawyer says uh, Urban Meyer didn't know about it. Well, of course not. Why would Urban Meyer know about such a thing? Uh, look, at this point, guys, I have no reason to believe anything Zach Smith or his lawyer say. I don't really care. It's certainly possible Urban Meyer didn't know. It's also possible he did know. Um, it is a viable debate topic. So, Pat, what do you think? Here's a whodunit for you. Do you believe that Urban Meyer had no idea that Zach Smith was arrested for DUI? And if so... 
should he have known? Well, Dana, first of all, I, I share your skepticism towards Zach Smith and his lawyer. Uh, I don't think they have presented the most compelling, believable side of his side of the story uh, so far to this point. So I will view what they say with some doubt. But that being said, I think it's possible that Urban Meyer didn't know. You know, I, I, I don't know, you know, what level of scrutiny there is of what your legal status is of your uh, assistant coaches as far as a, a DUI sort of situation. I'm not sure how hard it is to keep that sort of thing under the rug, uh, per se. You know, I would think it would impact his ability possibly to, to drive to and from work, but, you know, maybe that's not the kind of thing. I, I doubt Urban Meyer sitting there monitoring the parking lot, seeing who's coming and going and what they're driving and who's being driven in, that sort of thing. The one thing I will say, though, guys, is there seem to have been plenty of warning signs about Zach Smith as a troubled employee. And the lack of any action given uh, those warning signs is really kind of where my questions arise. Not so much per se, did he know about a DUI? But you add the DUI to the situation at Florida in 2009, which, uh, in which he was arrested, although not charged. And then in 2015, when Urban Meyer finally got around to saying, yeah, he did know about that. And Gene Smith, the athletic director, knew about that. And if this guy's lifestyle was as problematic as it seemed, I remain confused as to why he was employed as long as he was at Ohio State before being fired last month. What do you think, Pete? I think, Dan, this gets determined in a, in a pretty simple way. About, a, you know, the end of last week when Urban released a statement uh, on that Friday evening, the, the thought was, okay, if protocols were followed you know, when talking to other athletic directors and lawyers who deal in these cases and such, the, the prevailing feeling from people on the outside watching this play out was if Urban Meyer followed proper protocols, it would be difficult for Ohio State to fire him. Um, there's almost 40 million reasons why, you know, you're, you're not going to let a guy go if he has not breached his contract and he can't fire him for cause. So, as this story has gone on through the weekend and then the, the Toledo, Toledo Blade revelation that, that you brought up, Dan, earlier in the thing, you have to wonder now, as this group looks at Zach Smith, are, are, they, are they looking at, did Urban Meyer and Ohio State follow protocols, or are they diving into Zach Smith, which are two different pots. But the longer this goes, the worse Zach Smith looks as an employee, and it's becoming literally more glaring by the day. Two things there. One, they can fire him anytime they want. They just can't fire him for cause and get away with the money. Um, if sure. they sit there and just say, you execute, we can just fire you, but they just got to pay him. So um, I think there's sometimes the Ohio State fans are like, well, Urban Meyer can't be fired. Um, oh, we all can be fired. Um, this podcast may be fired very soon uh, <laughs> as proof. So we don't know. What I would say is absolutely Zach Smith uh, could have hidden this. I think uh, he sounds exactly like the kind of guy that would get a DUI and, and hide it and hope no one found out. Uh, risky, uh, certainly, because, I mean, he was arrested in Dublin, Ohio. It's right near campus. The judge was a, a, a booster of Ohio State. I mean, there's police around. Normally, you literally, like the reason Jim Tressel was fired was because someone around town, a lawyer, while while working on a case or client found all this memorabilia from his Ohio State players at a tattoo parlor and tipped off Jim Tressel. This is what 
you know, prominent coaches and people at a university, they find out what's going on this way. People kind of kind of rat other guys out. Um, so it's, a, you know, it's certainly possible that that someone would have ratted Zach Smith out. But I, Zach Smith does uh, seems totally believable that he would not only uh, high, uh, get the DUI, but then hide it. And so I don't you know, unless there's more evidence, I don't know that Urban Meyer did or didn't know. But, you know, should he have known? I, I don't really know. I mean, what are you, you going to comb every police blotter? I don't really expect a head coach to be doing that. Maybe someone at the school should. But um, basically, they just had a really, really bad employee uh, uh, sitting there, and, he, and he's going to continue to cause headaches. You don't know what the next shoe will drop. And that's, you know, as Toledo Blade is finding this. I mean, is anybody else looking at what is Ohio State finding? Is there more incidents? I think that's a big thing. Now, also last week, uh, or over the weekend, um, there was a report by a Buckeye fan on Facebook. Um, and <laughs> we're, we're already kind of delving into some wildness here. Uh, but it's too delicious for me to, uh, to ignore. And he claimed uh, through sources that Texas coach Tom Herman, who is a former Ohio State offensive coordinator, was so upset that... Uh, a wide receiver uh, recruit from Austin chose Ohio State that he tipped reporter Brett McMurphy off about the Zach Smith story just to undermine the Ohio State deal. Now, these are unnamed sources. Herman denies it. McMurphy denies it. Uh, there's really not a lot to go on here, except uh, I, I'm a big fan of um, inappropriate speculation and debate. <laughs> so let's do it. Um, Pete... I mean, this would be pretty good. The idea that Tom Herman narked out his old program just because he's mad at a recruit. What percent do you give as the possibility that this happened? And and be kind, because I, I really hope it is just for the soap opera aspect, even though I doubt it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's true, uh, Dan. I, I think that story was rooted. There was a seed of truth in it, which Tom Herman came out and said in a statement Ooh. that his wife gave money to Courtney Smith um, to help her with uh, with legal bills, I believe. So that part of sort of a grander conspiracy that was revealed there on uh, on Facebook was actually rooted in in truth. Michelle Herman and Courtney Smith are uh, are good friends. They were good friends when the Hermans were in uh, were in Columbus. But I don't believe a, a whole lot beyond that. I feel like that weekend of kind of like dueling banjo Facebook posts news that that came out, I think like 10 years from now, when we think back to this very strange moment of time we're in as Urban Meyer's fate hangs in the balance, we're going to look back at that as like the sort of peak circus uh, that that's accompanied this. I thought Doug LaMarie from the Cleveland paper uh, in cleveland.com, I guess, did a did a great column that just <laughs> summarized how bonkers really all this kind of became with Facebook likes oh Twitter likes and Facebook posts and uh, yeah it is uh, I, I think the Ohio State journalism professors will have uh, will have plenty of real-time fodder when classes <laughs> begin there uh, soon Pat what do you think you know did he do it yeah like, he did it tell I, me he did it <laughs> I don't think he did it no I don't ah, uh, I, I little, no I'm fun. sorry Dan I you know I hate to, to puncture the soap opera before we even get yeah. to the to the really grand climax, but uh, you know, a couple of things here. First of all, Jeff Snook is the guy that, that wrote this on Facebook, former uh, Florida beat writer for the Palm Beach Post. He and McMurphy both covered Florida. I don't know whether there's any sort of contentiousness in their relationship at all. all right. Is he uh, is he a Buckeye fan? Did I miss? Uh, he's I, I he's did an Ohio State graduate. 
He's an Ohio okay. State right. graduate, and I believe Apologies Pete to Jeff. Might be, yeah, you know he uh, he might uh, he might have uh, have uh, 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 written some books, I believe, on Ohio State. Pete might be able to okay. verify that. Um, so yeah, there there's definitely some ties there, uh, but it's been very bizarre to have these dueling Facebook posts by guys who aren't actually employed at the moment by by uh, media outlets. Um, but no, I don't. I, I I would be surprised if Tom Herman did what was alleged. He says he didn't. McMurphy says he didn't. You know, and it's so easy for people, I think, sitting on the outside to try to formulate a motive. And now the motive is, oh, it's recruiting. You got beaten recruiting for somebody. Come on, man. I, I really think that's that's a a high high stretch to uh, to say that's the the motive for Tom Herman to go after his former employer. Uh, former close friend, I think things have gotten a little bit strained between Urban and Tom Herman, uh, and and turn it into something like that. I, that that strikes me as a little bit far fetched and fanciful. So, sorry, Dan. You know, hate to cut you short on the uh, the conspiracy theory, but I'm not buying it. See, I see the motive. I I could see these guys get angry about recruiting. So I could see the motive. I I probably I don't really necessarily believe it. Um, it really doesn't matter. We, as we all know. We've all done investigative reporting, and they always speculate on who tipped you off. Because I think it's like in the movies, like you get a phone, the phone rings, some old like newspaper movie, and the guy, you know, and then someone tips you off, and you immediately write this. Like that's not how it works. It doesn't matter who tipped no. you off or how you heard about it. It's whether it's true or not. And so, right. um, yeah, as much as I'd like this story, it, it, it's unlikely to be uh, be accurate. Um, although, who knows? Um, but I'm gonna still I'm gonna hold out a one percent chance here. Um, well, that's just, uh, you know uh, what though you 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 while you're holding out your one percent chance, you bring up the great point though is this is basically a deflection from the main issue, which is you know what did Urban Meyer know? When when did he know it? And what did he do about it? Who who tipped off Brett McMurphy doesn't matter, and that's it's a classic muddy the water. You know, let the fan websites or whoever jump in and and start trying to turn this into. A uh, where did the story come from, as opposed to whether the story is accurate? Yeah. Do you remember I mean, Pat the the famous Cam Newton case? There was a classic <laughs> SEC distraction on that on the on the leak on that. That's what this reminded me of. God what rest was the soul, distraction? I, I, I remember the case very well because we broke the story. But what was the yes. distraction? Distraction was, was who leaked it. All right. Yeah. Clearly. I always attributed that to the late great Mike Slive uh, for muddying the waters there pretty good it's a, it is a good tactic i we used to always get blamed for being a fan of whoever the rival i always be like I, I'm, I'm like how many fan bases am i like how many schools did i graduate from where's these degrees i got it's <laughs> <laughs> like we kind of we tried to wipe charles and i tried to wipe everybody out for a while there i was like i got a lot of degrees I'm like, this is going I mean, good. you went to umass they don't have any rivalries they're no good we have no no one would even be our rival no one even even want to admit that they were our rival. Like maybe like U University of Maine or something. Like I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I guess I guess that's it. Um, all right, quickly predictions on Urban Meyer keeping his job. Pat, why don't you go first? He's going to keep his job. I believe that. Um, you know, there may be a sanction of some kind, maybe a suspension. I don't know. Although this kind of seems like an either or. Either you're Either that you find him completely, uh, I don't want to say not guilty, because this isn't a matter of guilt, innocence, per se, in a legal term, but you find him, you exonerate him or you terminate him, one of the two. 
I am expecting exoneration. I'm not sure that's the right move, but I don't know all the facts. We still don't know all the facts. And I think that it's going to create a big backlash if they do keep him, but I expect them to keep him. Pete? I'm in the same camp as Pat, Dan. I, I do think they end up keeping him. I hope for the sake of this investigation that it's transparent and there's a report and they detail who they talked to and what they found. Um, you know, my caveat there is that if more Zach Smith ghosts keep uh, keep emerging as, as the days go on here, I believe the two-week mark is Sunday. Um, and so we're expecting something in that neighborhood in terms of a decision. And just considering what's come out in the last 10 days or so, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of room for, for more Zach Smith baggage to emerge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, look, I think they'll find enough to fire him. I think they'd find enough to uh, keep him. It's a judgment call. Has not been a lot of upset. I've not seen a lot of protests, anger from uh, domestic abuse groups or anything like that. Uh, pretty much only Michigan Wolverine fans are angry. Uh, so I'm thinking <laughs> Ohio State just says, yeah, we're, we're okay. We're going to go with this. Uh, Urban, uh, try to tell the truth next time and um, report or whatever you got to do. So we'll see, uh, see where we're at. Hey, Yahoo College Fantasy Football. That's right. College fantasy football has arrived, not just for the NFL anymore. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. It looks, feels, plays just like regular fantasy football, but with 100% more college. So get a league together, declare yourself eligible, and get ready to draft your true colors. This is what everybody's looking for. Because Saturdays are about to become your newest fantasy tradition. Sign up now, yahoo.com slash college fantasy. Now, uh, I think we have a staff game going. I bagged out of the league because I'm too lazy and dumb to play fantasy football. Too lazy but, for auto-draft. Uh, That's good, Dan. I really am. I'm too lazy. For, I would have had to remember a password or something. I, I, I'm not doing it, but I think, uh, I think you guys are or somebody is, and so we'll update as we go. But that is pretty cool, Yahoo Sports College Fantasy. Who's yep. doing it? We are Pete, both in, and I, I already screwed up my auto draft too, so I'm, right, I'm accepting job. my loss. So I'm going to be last. Yep. Real shocker. It's hard Real to screw shocker. up an auto draft, Pat. Congratulations. That's uh, well, that's the problem. I, I went in and monkeyed with it and tried to put in a draft order, and it did not go well. <laughs> who's your Who's your quarterback, Pat? Is it like Is it like UMass's quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> this is not Andrew Ford of UMass. It is Will Greer oh, of wow. West Virginia. I started well, and things went downhill from there. Yeah, you did our QB. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, regulate you to the MAC. But Pat, Pat's bringing the MAC-tion to uh, college fantasy football. <laughs> I don't think you could draft. There's only 65 teams. Are you saying UMass is one of the top 65 teams? That would be something. Is that what you're <laughs> no, reporting I mean, there, it's, there's 129 teams, man. We are FBSY. Yeah, but you can only pick 65, right? Did you, I did think you listen to the promo? very specific nuanced fantasy league that Pat and I are in that we've spent a lot of time looking at <laughs> in the Yahoo College Sports fantasy uh, is FBS only. Yeah. Unless so Pat really rigged the auto draft wrong. I don't know. No, but, all right. So 129 teams, baby. All right. There you go. Good luck to you. Good luck. Thank you. What's your team's you. names? Uh, Flea Kicker Fifth Down, combining the two worst moments in Missouri football history. Uh, I think I'm the podcast denizens, which I thought was the league name, and then I don't know, not not creative at all. Did you name the? Are you the podcast naming department? You might be it. 
What's up? That's We're the lamest name. That is so Here's lame. Here's a little investigative reporting. We'll invest it. We are going to out Pete Famel as the as the podcast department. <laughs> that, that is the worst name ever. How independent will the independent investigation be to out me? I'm just curious. It's not very independent. I think it's done. <laughs> Maryland football player Jordan McNair tragically passed away in June, a couple weeks after collapsing at a Terrapin practice with severe heat stroke. His body temperature was 106 degrees when he arrived at the hospital. The offensive lineman had been struggling through five 110-yard sprints. He needed teammates and, and medical staffers to uh, keep him upright. The details are horrible. Uh, ESPN report hammered the school for a toxic culture of football. Uh, the Washington Post had experts saying Jordan would have survived if he had put in a cold bath sooner. The University of Maryland Tuesday acknowledged uh, failures in treating him. Uh, the, the medical staff or the training staff at that time didn't even check his temperature before sending him to the hospital. Uh, Maryland has since parted ways with strength and conditioning coach Rick Court, agreeing to pay him $315,000, two-thirds of what he was still owed. Uh, other staffers remain suspended, including head coach DJ Durkin. Uh, look, this is a terrible story. This is the worst. Kid goes off to college. He doesn't return, all because he's pushed too hard in a conditioning drill. Um, an investigation by the school into the procedures and the medical treatment applied to Jordan was immediately launched but a wider ranging look into the culture of the football program didn't occur until ESPN reported on this subject late last week. To do that, they needed players and staffers to speak up anonymously and basically blow the whistle here. I find that part troubling. If someone dies on the practice field, I want to know everything. And uh, it, it, it bothers me a little that they didn't go all out or that it required people to step up at their peril and speak to ESPN. Pete, what are your thoughts on this, and where does Maryland's investigation go from here? Yeah, I think, uh, Dan, uh, Maryland had a press conference on Tuesday afternoon to address this. President Wallace Lowe and uh, newly named full-time athletic director Damon Evans. And really, Maryland fell on the sword about as hard as you will see a university athletic department fall on a sword amid a controversy. And I don't know if they should necessarily be lauded for that, but it was notable because they've, they've left themselves wide open with, the, with their language and the way they accepted responsibility for a lot of things on the way in Jordan McNair's death to a significant financial settlement to McNair's family. Pat, what do, what do, what do you think about um, them taking time to look into the whole program and, and all the things? Because my thing with this is you don't get to be an, you don't get into being an athletic trainer or, or a coach or anyone who works with young people or just human at all, and 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 sit there and say, oh, I really hope I push kids to, to tragedy or I push them to the brink of death and it, it just got a little... I mean, this isn't what these guys... They're there to care for kids. They want to care for kids. These are good people who made a terrible, terrible choice here. And, and I just feel like sometimes it's just the football program and the culture of winning and they believe all the all the hype and their, their slogans and they, they, how important this is, they think that good people lose their way in college sports and all of sports. And, and this is an example of that. And that's the part I would want to also look into is what are we doing wrong that otherwise trained professionals and good people allowed this to happen on their watch? Sure. No, I think that, that there's a, a distinct culture issue, not just at Maryland, mostly at Maryland, but perhaps in other places in college football as well. And I do think it goes to what you said. There's an outsized 
lack of perspective here about the importance of football and how you make good football players. And I do think that there's been a tradition for years, for decades in college football, that you push players to the ultimate, and that makes them better. And then they come back and tell stories about, you know, how, oh, you know, the, the, how much I learned and how I became a man. But you can also absolutely overdo it to a tragic degree, as we've seen in this case. And I think there is a, t- a tendency, especially in the strength coach, coach profession, which has skyrocketed in importance and lucrative value to those in it, uh, in terms of what they are paid and how important they are within programs. And part of that is this mythology of, you know what, I'm going to push these guys so hard, and that's going to be my reputation out there. And there are strength coaches that you know are famous for setting out buckets for guys to vomit in on the first day of winter conditioning. There have been strength coaches that have had guys go to the hospital for rhabdomyolysis because they worked them to the point where their kidneys were shutting down. And I, that has almost become part and parcel of the culture. Not everywhere but in some places. And that's a dangerous line to walk because when you go on the other side of the line, it can be tragic as we've seen at Maryland. So, you know what, you mentioned that coaches don't get into the profession to have this sort of thing happen and to lose their way and to lose perspective to that degree. But, and I've talked to some coaches involved in NCAA violations, which are not as important as life and death by any means, but they will say, you know what, when I got to that higher level and I'm making that much more money and there's that much more pressure to win every game, I lost perspective. I was doing things I never could have imagined myself doing, and I think you may be looking at similar situations here, like at the University of Maryland. And, and, and this sport requires the adults to have incredible perspective and integrity because the players are amateur athletes. They do not have agents. They do not have a union. Uh, you know, the NFL players, what they what they go through, the training regime, how many hours, how many hours in pads, what you can do is all collectively bargained. And they have somebody looking out for them. Not that this couldn't happen and hasn't happened in the NFL. It has. But you have you have a voice. And for for a young man that's trying to make the NFL, trying to keep his scholarship, trying to find the starting field, they don't have that. And so college athletics has to be even better. Uh, right now, the N- NFL protects its players who are being paid uh, enormous amounts of money, better than the college kids who are, are, are simply getting uh, tuition, room, and board, which is a level of compensation, but not anything like this. So I just really feel that all college sports needs to do that. Do you, do you sense there's any kind of movement in that direction, Pete? Well, Dan, I think the the line over the last few decades between uh, being demanding and being demeaning was blurred together. They were they were one and the same. And if you look at the language that's alleged in that ESPN report, I mean, I can't tell you how many places I've been over the years where you'd hear things like that. And yeah. nothing good is going to come out of this. A young man's dead, and, and that's obviously the overriding tragedy here. But the hope is there was some soul searching in some strength rooms and some weight rooms in some athletic departments and in some coaches' offices and coaches' meetings this week where people who were who have crossed the lines and have blurred those lines straighten themselves out because I think there's going to be a long, hard look at everything at Maryland here, and hopefully that causes some soul-searching around the sport. Well, I hope so, but as long as the coach has all the power in the world, and they do. I mean, look, we're going back to the other story, and it's totally different story. But Urban Meyer can employ someone accused twice of domestic abuse and lie about it for no reason and do whatever he want and and the fans rally around him and you stand in the way they're going to go after your job so i I would love to think that there's going to be a big change 
but they're building bigger and bigger facilities to keep more and more people out and keep the players more isolated uh, from from the, the campus. Like, I just hate the thing like, well, this is where you can eat all three meals. This is where you yeah. take a nap. This is where you play mini golf. This is where you work out. You're in here all day long. And it's like, you know what? I want I want players to eat in the regular cafeteria and meet regular students. Uh, you yeah. know, I I think I think that's healthier than just well you get a better of course they're going to go where the better food is so they're going to go and I don't blame them but it, it's everything is just too much pressurized on it so and it kind of leads into my next topic but the Big Ten these are two Big Ten stories we've t- done so far uh, no one's talking about Scott Frost at Nebraska no one's talking about how good Michigan State's offense is nobody outside Wisconsin's talking about how good Wisconsin could do they break through to a playoff this is. Maryland. This is Ohio State. This is coming on the heels of Larry Nasser at MSU, you know, a wrestling uh, doctor at Ohio State. Similar story. Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. Illinois and Indiana both recently fired their head coaches. Football for player abuse concerns. Minnesota had a uh, kind of a, a, a confusing sexual assault case. They lost their coach. Purdue wasn't set up to handle uh Michigan quarterback who got injured at a game last year. We can go on with this. Um, for a long time, Pat, the Big Ten looked down its noses at everybody else on this stuff and felt they were superior to it. And, and, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But that certainly seems lost. I mean, this is these are big issues. These aren't, you know, Michigan players are selling their shoes, uh, you know, or, 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 or buying a recruit. These are big issues. Like, what gives in the Big Ten right now? And I know these are disparate stories, but is, is what it gives in college football that these stories seem to get uglier and uglier uh, as we go forward? Sure. And uh, you know what? Right now, it's the Big Ten's turn to take its lumps. And it, you were very accurate in pointing out that there was a a kind of looking down upon other leagues and places that play college football, specifically the SEC, like, oh, well, you know, they cut corners there, we don't here, and that's why they're winning titles, but we're doing it the right way. Well, they're not doing it the right way in the Big Ten at the moment. Uh, you know, they maybe this is coincidence. It's probably cyclical. You know, next year or two years or five years down the road, there could be a rash of things in the ACC or the Big 12 or somewhere else. But right now, this is the problem within the Big Ten, and I would much rather hear from the leadership of the conference addressing this and saying, hey, you know, we got to get ourselves together. Remember, there was a, there was a lot of backlash to Penn State uh, institutionally within the Big Ten. There needs to be, I think, a, a communal, let's take a little look at ourselves here and, and do better uh, across the league right now. If, if I'm Jim Delaney, I would want to see that and hear that from my leadership across the entire conference. Yeah, I thought Delaney's comments to Dennis Dodd earlier this week were, were powerful. He took a call from uh, at, from vacationing in Peru and, and owned it. There's problems, and, and I give Delaney credit for, for, for recognizing that and not ducking that. And I, I look back to that time that Dan was referencing eight, ten years ago. Dan, what was his famous quote about uh, about SEC defensive linemen? Didn't he didn't he make some like line of delineation where the Big Ten schools couldn't admit players like that? I remember you writing about it quite a bit. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. I can I can call up the quote, but it was basically that you know I love uh, the defensive line speed at the SEC, but we have um, you know, not everyone's an academic and cultural fit. He's basically saying their guys couldn't get in or we don't want them. They're a bunch of bad people. It was a completely obnoxious 
blanket statement that Delaney made. I mean, Pete, I gotta take it. I mean, Delaney owned it. What what is he supposed to? What else would he say? Well, he could have not taken the died. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I just give him. I mean, he's on vacation in Peru. He's not. He's not dealing with this. Not right (laughs) now. I mean, a guy can have a vacation, but I, I mean, I expect nothing less than saying, "Yeah, we have problems." Yeah, I'd say you have problems. You have multiple coaches suspended. You have a, a, a dead player. Uh, you have spousal abuse. I mean, these issues are so big now. Uh, you know, I, I don't sense any urgency out there in college athletics to really say, hey, we got to do something. What I sense an urgency is, is we got to squeeze more money out and build a bigger facility. I, you know, I don't know. I maybe, maybe I missed a quote in that Dennis Dodd thing, but I just saw a guy trying to just be like, yeah, I'm going to get back to the beach here. I agree. These are significant uh, items on the Big Ten's plate, and they—they, they, I think, they require some level of conference-wide discussion and response. Uh, you know, I—I I don't know. I mean, th- hopefully that will come. I'm not going to penalize Jim Delaney for being in Peru at the moment on vacation, uh, right. but you know, I—I I, I would think that there there needs to be some communal discussion amongst a league that has always, again, thought highly of itself about how we're going to handle these situations or how we're going to handle ourselves. period, you know, going forward. What kind of conference do we want to be? Do we want to be a conference that says, hey, we make the most money because of the Big Ten Network, or do we want to be the conference that has always apparently or allegedly tried to do things the right way? I think they have tried. I do think they try, and I think there's too many good people and, and mistakes get made. And, you know, like I said earlier with Maryland, like nobody gets in this to, to have players collapse and pass away. I mean, I'm sure there was tragedy. I just think more people could, I don't know, there needs to be a, a greater dialogue. Maybe it's out there and I'm not hearing it. Um, Pete talked to a bunch of different people about this. So maybe, I don't know, do you really sense there is that change? Maybe I'm just being, uh, I don't know, skeptical. Sure, and and certainly the Big Ten and the, these situations deserve plenty of uh, plenty of skepticism. I, I thought from making a round of calls on uh, on Sunday for the column that uh, that I did on Monday about college football being at a little bit of an inflection point here, th- there was a sense that that these issues are going to change. Hiring practices, first of all, are going to be further scrutinized. Second, just when the charges get dropped, like they did for Zach Smith in '09 in Florida, is that enough anymore? You know, that used to be a blanket. Oh, you know, player X, you know, linebacker from wherever, uh, got, in a, got in trouble, but the charges got dropped. And then it was just back to normal again. And, and I do think that these situations that have come up, although vastly different, are going to, you know, are going to bring extra scrutiny to the people involved in similar situations in the future. If I can, Danny, real quick, just the, the, I think the point you made about kind of maybe people getting a little bit lost along the way from what they enter the profession as, to where they end up in some of these situations is very valid because I've heard coaches, I've talked to coaches who have been involved in NCAA violation things, which are nowhere near as serious as having a player die on your watch or being accused of basically not caring about an, an abusive uh, assistant coach on your staff. But I've talked to them and they say, you know what, the, the money, the pressure, everything becomes big enough that it really kind of changes your mindset. You don't even necessarily know it's happening, but all of a sudden you're in the midst of a situation and you're, you're just thinking basically, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to keep this mega million dollar job that I have? And you're not thinking the same way you did when you started out as a graduate assistant and a low level assistant coach or a high school coach. Yeah, no, I think the, the, the winning, the money, 
the job security is very little of it. You know, the schools don't do anything to keep guys that, and and it, and it gets the staffs. And it, it can be not just losing your job, but like, you know, my, my kids are in a good school. I don't want to move. You know, we like it here. Or I don't want to uproot my family. I don't want to, you know, it's just so many things that go into it. Uh, it's human nature. It's it's just a tough, tough business, and uh, a lot of bad things can happen, uh, unfortunately, in college athletics because we, we obviously love it. Uh, one good thing that is happening in college athletics, Ed Oliver, unless you got to block him. Uh, defensive tackle for the University of Houston. 93 solo tackles, 10 and a half sacks in just two seasons with the Cougars, where he is routinely double teamed anyway. Uh, he's already declared he is turning pro at season's end. I love that. Just get it out of the way. And the NFL has all but declared he will be the number one draft pick. Dude is legit. He's also 6'3", 292 pounds. Can't fit in normal pants because his legs are too big. And he sat down with Pete Thamel to discuss, among other things, how he trains horses and presumably rides them. Like, what? Pete, did you interview the horse, the poor horse? I'm not a good enough reporter. If it was Mr. Ed, that would be a blockbuster debut interview for the Yahoo College Sports podcast. That would, if you got the horse to talk, that would be quite a thing. Um, I just can't imagine. Like, he gets on a horse. Often without a saddle. Ed Oliver, Dan, has the biggest thighs I've ever seen on a human being. I I think, Pat and Dan, you can relate to this. Like, we're around seven-footers in basketball a lot. We're around defensive tackles a lot. You're not obviously odd a lot by physical sheer size because you see it pretty frequently i saw ed oliver's thighs for the first time i just never seen genetics work in that way they are they are literally like awe-inspiring ed oliver's thighs that's why the pants don't fit the horse the horse did it though the horse got him around all right that is more in this interview oreo's his name all right we're gonna hear more here is pete thamel's interview with uh ed oliver it's pretty good Samuel here with Houston All-American defensive tackle Ed Oliver on the Yahoo College Sports Podcast. Ed, your first podcast, how nervous are you? Cool as a fan. <laughs> Very good. Ed, I, I remember your freshman season at Houston. Uh, I came in for the week of the Oklahoma game when uh, when you guys upset the Sooners in your, in your first college game. And we had a very memorable conversation about why you hate wearing pants. And it has to do with your thigh size. And I'm wondering if you can walk me back through some of the struggles because your thighs are basically two sequoia trees attached to your waist. How difficult it is to do something simple like buy a pair of pants. Uh, first of all, the pants have to be two sizes bigger, maybe even three. And then the waist is too big. So it's really just a big hassle. Uh, most of the time I get the pants with the stretching material. So, so I mean, it really don't matter. So, uh, just a big hassle, but I, I learned to, how to shop for myself, so it's a little bit easier now. And you just basically said you try to wear shorts. Yeah, shorts, shorts more comfortable. Slide them on, slide them off. Uh, you got to worry about your thighs. You got to worry about the heat. Man, it's just cool. Whoever made shorts, I, I thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Oliver, courting future endorsements from the shorts companies uh, there. 
Ed, when I look back at your commitment to Houston, I feel like it was the start of the H-Town takeover in a lot of ways. It, To me, it manifested a notion and, and, and made it real. Um, it, you, throughout the years, have always expressed a lot of pride in Houston and the city of Houston. I'm, I'm wondering if you can walk us back through that decision, which has certainly been a monumental one for the university. Uh, university of Houston is, is my uh, my city school, is my school. Um my brother was there. My head coach got hired there. Um, it's a lot of factors in that went into me going there. It wasn't just a, a, a Tom Herman recruiting a, a five-star athlete. You know, he had a lot of help from a lot of different places. And uh, honestly, I fell in love with the school. And my, my brother loved where he was at, and they were winning. They won a Peach Bowl, and I wanted to be a part of that. So that's pretty much so a little short. You've always been an ambassador for the talent in the city of Houston. If Houston kept all of the best players home, how good could Houston be? Uh, they could be national championship level. Or are we national championship level? I, I feel now, but we for sure, for sure be at least Alabama, not better. Um, Alabama have a lot of players from Houston, I, I believe. So a quarterback from Houston or, or whatever, like whatever kind of situation they got going. But Houston got a lot of, a lot of good players. Do you want to check in on the Alabama quarterback situation? <laughs> no, that's none of my business. Jalen Hurts, shout out to that boy. He from the city. Well, he's not from the city, but he's not too far from it. So he's basically from Houston. I'm just keeping G with you. But, uh, yeah, shout out to that boy. Went out there as a true freshman, proved the world wrong. Went out there, won all those games uh, last year. So I think he's going to get the starting job. I believe in him. So the city of Houston is a unique municipality in the fact that you grew up in the city of Houston, but you also grew up riding horses. I'm wondering if you can explain to people who have never been to Houston how it's a city, but yet at the same time, you, you said it's country as well. Um, I mean, you got the downtown skyline. You got all the big buildings. Uh, got universities like Rice, uh, University of Houston, and uh, things like that. But then you go into to, to neighborhoods and you, you see barns or 50, 60, 60 horses on. And, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing to see, to be honest. And, uh, and the little barns ducked off, and you go in there and see horses. And, and you ride down the street and you see horses and four-wheelers and dirt bikes ride up and down the street in these neighborhoods. And it's crazy, and it's awesome to be a part of. What kind of horse did you ride growing up, and did you have a favorite? Um... Uh, Caledonia was my first horse. She was a saddlebred. Then I got a uh, a standard bred Tennessee Walker mix named Oreo. Love that dude to death. And then uh, then Coffee. That was my uh, my last horse. I got him around around when I was about sixteen. Big big black horse, all black. And uh, I think he got one little he got one little white diamond in the middle of his forehead, but the rest everything black. So I love my horses. Do you think some of your lower body strength, like natural strength growing up, came from riding horses? Oh, uh, well, my dad, he used to make me do a – well, he didn't make me do, but we used to go to the barn. We used to work on the barn. Uh, I used to carry feed, bales of hay. Uh, and then I, I never liked riding in the saddle. I don't know why, but I, I like riding bareback, and that just helped with my balance, I guess. And uh, maybe because, like, you got to squeeze the horse, like, to kind of balance yourself. So maybe that did help. I know when I try to do it now, my legs be super sore, so I'm guessing it did help. So you made a unique declaration this winter, Ed. You're the first in my memory of covering college football for 15 years now, player after his sophomore year, to let everybody know that you plan to go to the NFL um, after your junior season. Now, certainly, the, your production and your talent, this is not a surprise to anyone. I, I'm curious why you decided to make that public. 
Uh, just because I didn't want that to uh, overshadow my play. And if you're going to talk about me, I want you to talk about me because of how I'm playing and not speculation about am I going to the league or or things like that. And I also think the fans and the people of Houston deserve deserve honesty out of me. I'm going to give it to them. How did your teammates and fans react when you when you made that decision, Ed? Uh, my my, fan, my, uh, uh, my family and uh, close friends, they kind of knew uh, going into it and uh, – I mean, it wasn't really. It really wasn't a secret. I, I went on a three-year business plan, and I told multiple people that. So it, it wasn't a secret. So it's just what it is, what it was. So there's one year left on your business plan. Obviously, you've had two very productive seasons. The team took a step back last year. I'm curious how you would like to finish your business plan at Houston. Uh, conference championship and a uh, New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, that's the goal. That's the standard. Uh, I won't accept anything less offensively there's another Houston guy who will be the full-time quarterback this year Derek we have we had some we had some lobsters with Derek last night and uh, I feel like his diamondism is something that will fit well in this Houston offense and he's certainly shown that in times what did you see out of Derek in in the spring and what can he bring to Houston on the field this fall I mean he's a lot similar to uh, Greg Ward and, and what he brought to the table just in a in a, a slight bit smaller package and uh he's a little bit faster so well, maybe not faster, but he could throw the ball a little bit better, guaranteed. And um, he just brings a lot to the table. He's dynamic. He can move. He can run. He can throw. Uh, There's really no downside to him. And I played him in high school, and he was the same way. So it's not a mistake that he's so good. No, that that's just him. That's just how he plays ball. When we talked in David's office last year, Ed, uh, David Bassetti, the fine PR chief for uh, the Houston Cougars, you mentioned that you felt like at times last season teams were targeting you in terms of your knees, and I think you believe they killed them wham blocks. I'm just wondering, as you approach this season with with so much on the line for you personally and the team, how you would react to those situations if they come up again? Uh, They changed the rules, so I don't have no worries about them. it's a dirty play. It's a, it's a play um, designed to take a player out. Uh, I would, if I was a football player, I'd never do that to anybody. Uh, that's just a cheap shot, and uh, I'm glad it's illegal. What was the specific rule change for listeners who uh, who aren't aware of that nuance? I'm I'm not. Uh, I don't know what it is verbatim, but you can't do it. Okay. <laughs> to, to, to just be honest, you can't do it. I don't know exactly what they said. Or all I know is you can't do it. Did you feel like at times teams targeted you last year, Ed? No, I didn't feel targeted. I feel like teams tried to block me, though. They had to do – you got to do what you do to block me. I mean, it's football. You do what you do to block people. So, I don't feel targeted. I feel like people just tried to block me. Your football man crush, if I recall right, is Aaron Donald, uh, another guy who may not be the tallest but certainly is dynamic in his production. Uh, What strikes you about Aaron Donald? This is – just what he was able to do with his size, and uh, he paid the way for the little guys. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, him being drafted is a uh, is a big plus for me. Him being drafted so high is a big plus for me because they realize, okay, you don't have to be six five, six four, whatever. You just got to be able to play football at a high level, which I could do. If you got to meet Aaron Donald, what would you uh, what would you ask him? I I, I wouldn't want to meet him any other way but in the gym. Uh, I want to see how he worked. I want to see if he work harder than me. Lifting wise, you'd want to see what he does, like just like weight room wise. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see everything. I want to see on the field. I want to see off the field. It's a rumor that he bench pressed five hundred pounds. I want to see it. I want to see how he do it. I want to see how he got there. I want to see what he squat. I want to see what he power clean. I want to see everything. I want to see where you at, so then I can get a little bit better. 
have you studied his film uh, significantly, Ed? Not really, because we, we play similar, but we don't. Uh, he's more so of a pass rush guy, I'm more so of a run stopper guy. Even at, at my uh, smaller stature, I'm, I'm more so of a run stopper guy. But that's one thing I can learn from him is pass rush moves. And we're the same size, so that's one thing I can learn from him. You mentioned team goals. Obviously, those are the most important conference championship, New Year's Six Bowl, get Houston back to that level where it's been. What about individual goals for you this year, Ed? Individual goals. I have, the sky's the limit, but as far as the team, we, we got one goal, one plan, and uh, that's conference championship, power six. Uh, I mean, not power six. I mean, look what they got me saying. <laughs> uh, New Year, New Year six bowl, power six, promote the power six. Let's get it. Even if I don't, even if I don't never get a chance to play in it, I'ma know. I, I went to Houston. We power six now. Now what you talking about? <laughs> Commissioner Resco appreciates you taking his talking points and bringing them. Uh, and br- he talks so long. He talks so long. You, you had to listen. If you didn't, there was nothing else to do. You had to listen. And he, he preached everything about Power Six. And I'm with him on it, too, because we do deserve to be there. And a lot of teams that's in this conference were in the uh, Southwest. So, come on, we've been there. We're trying to get back there. We still got the talent. So, go ahead and make it happen. Ed, is one of your personal goals to be the number one pick in the NFL draft next year? No. It's not a personal goal of mine. That that's uh that can go any way, any way. They need a quarterback, they're gonna get a quarterback. They need a, a offensive lineman, they're gonna get an offensive lineman. It's basically all about need. So the goal for me is to play best I can play this year. I can't control what a, a what a team needs and I'm not ignorant about it. I know that. So can't control what a, what 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 a team needs. So they, they number one quarterback come out, they're gonna get the number one quarterback over a D lineman. I mean that's quite natural. Or uh, maybe they might need a running back, or it might not be my position. Or they might need a D, and they don't need a D tackle. So you never know. So I just just take it with a grain of salt. Whatever they need, they're gonna get. This is the year of the D lineman, Ed, in college football. If you look at Clemson's entire D line returning intact, obviously Nick Bosa at Ohio State, Rashawn Gary at Michigan. Uh, how much do you pay attention to those guys, and uh, do you think you're better than them? No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. That's, that's not for me to decide. Um, I do pay attention to him. I did, I did play in an uh, All-American game with Rashawn. I won MVP. He won MVP of his team. So that was like, wow. And um, Dexter, I was at the uh, – I went to Nike Open with Dexter, I think maybe like a month ago. We we chopped it up. He was actually my roommate, so we, we stayed in the same room. Um the other D lineman for Clemson, I don't, I don't know him, but a lot of the D linemen in my class, we we all went to the opening together, so it's not, it's, we're not foreign to each other. We all know each other, and uh, they all pretty cool people. Give people an idea. You're obviously a large human being, Ed. Um, give people an idea of how big Dexter is. Dexter make me look small. Well, it's not hard to do that, but he make me look really small. I just leave it at that. I don't want to talk about it no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's like a human eclipse. Uh, just a, one of the largest human beings uh, I've I've ever uh, I've ever seen. Is there another NFL defensive lineman other than Aaron Donald? Like, do you look at Sue or is there another uh... Sue? But Sue, me and Sue are, are totally different players. Um, I look at guys that are similar to me, and the most similar one to me is Aaron Donald, or, or maybe that dude uh, Snacks. You know what it is? Yes. Yes. Like the run-stuffing defensive tackle. Yeah, that boy Cole. Yeah, so he's not all that big either. He's just fat. Well, he ain't fat, but, you know, he's big. Last question, Ed. Um, when you 
when people look back at your career at the University of Houston years from now, other players in the city, people who look up to you as, as you go on, how do you want to be remembered at Houston, Ed? I want to be remembered as a guy who came there as a five-star athlete, and before he left, he won a, won a New Year's Six Bowl and won a conference championship. Is there anything you want personally to be remembered other than being, a you know, obviously a valuable member of the team and a leader? I mean, getting getting number 10 retired wouldn't be uh, – wouldn't be too bad of an ordeal because when I came there, I wanted to wear number 11, but that was retired. So I take my own number. I want to get it retired. So I make if I make number 10 and then get it retired, I'll be happy. Ed Oliver asking and hoping to play up to getting his jersey in the rafters. Uh, Ed, we appreciate your time today on the Yahoo College Sports Podcast. Appreciate you. Good stuff, Pete. I uh, appreciate Ed for uh, being the first guest in the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Good work. Number one pick and the first guest. I'm guessing um, those will be equal accomplishments in his life. He will always <laughs> cherish uh, good stuff. Uh, Yahoo College Fantasy Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. It looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football, but with 100% more college. Sign up now, yahoo.com slash college fantasy. All right, Pat. Your daughter, Brooke, the swimming champion, competed in the 400-meter individual medley at the Pan Pacific Championships in Tokyo. She got there by placing second in the U.S. Nationals. As uh, regular listeners know, Brooke Forty is our favorite swimmer. She's awesome. Uh, I admit that my knowledge of the individual medley centers solely (laughs) on the fact that Lynn from the movie Major League, played by the fetching Rene Russo, was an alternate on the 1980 Olympic team in the 200-meter individual medley. Apparently, Brooke is strong enough to go twice as long. That's even better. So, Brooke is awesome. Competes at Stanford. Um, We like Brooke a lot more than Pat, so congrats to her. But, Pat, you went to watch this this race, obviously. Uh, You were in Tokyo. It's supposed to be a great city. I've not been there. Uh, but I heard they have a thing called the Sewage Museum in Tokyo. Now, I don't know what this is. I need to explain it to me. We once did a bit on the old show about how dumb of an idea it was for the town of Whitting, Indiana, to build the Mascot Museum. Uh, but they're actually going ahead with the Mascot Museum. Apparently, they expect people who are like fans of the Philly Fanatic to drive to Indiana or something rather than just... <laughs> Go to a Phillies game. I don't know. Uh, seems stupid to me. Uh, which museum is dumber, the Sewage Museum or the Mascot Museum, or am I just a jerk for disliking both museums? Well, you're clearly a jerk. Let's start with okay. that. But second, and secondly, an erroneous jerk because it's whiting, not witting. Just to keep the town off our back. Let's get that out there. Uh, but Sorry. now, yes, which which is weirder? I mean, there's no doubt about it that the sewage museum is the weirdest thing on the face of the earth. And I did not go in, I will say, I I admit I'm a bad reporter. I did not go into the, here's the official name, Tokyo Sewerage Museum Rainbow. I don't know where the rainbow comes in, but it's on the name. And I did not go in, but I did check the website and boy, do they make it sound like an appealing place to go. Here's this. Really? Here you can learn about the surprisingly fascinating world of Japan's sewerage system by exploring the museum's exhibits and experiencing firsthand what goes into keeping the city clean. 
Put yourself in the shoes of a sewerage worker by manning sewerage pumps and accessing the underground pipes before heading to the central monitoring room and water analysis laboratories to learn the science behind the systems. Does that sound like fun or what? Woohoo! What's at the end of the rainbow? <laughs> I'm afraid it might be a pot of something that isn't gold. Anyway, no, it's a, lot it's, of it's a very strange the place. Workers. Those guys, that's great work. <laughs> I have respect is, for them as well. I, I'm very pleased I am not a sewage worker, and I'm glad somebody is doing that job. But uh, a museum honoring sewage, uh, you know, I, probably not at the height, again, like the Louvre, the Smithsonian. Maybe go, you have to go down pretty far before you get to the sewage museum on my list of must-visit museums. Now, Japan is home to Kobayashi, the, the competitive eater. <laughs> Yeah, true. Does he have, is there like, I mean, if we're talking sewage, <laughs> the man once ate 110 bunless hot dogs at the New York State Fair in 10 minutes. I mean, 62 slices of pizza. That's 15 and a half pizzas in 12 minutes. He had 159 tacos in 10 minutes once. He had 55 lamb hot pots in 24 minutes. I would think that that would test the limits. That's all I'm saying. It would test his limit, test the sewage system's limits, perhaps. Yeah, that sounds, uh, you know. I mean, is that mentioned yeah. at the museum? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, again, I, I, I am a bad reporter. I did not go in and get to the bottom That's of terrible. that story. But He had 13 grilled cheese sandwiches in one minute at South by Southwest. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, he ate 337 buffalo wings in 30 minutes. <laughs> He is, uh, it, well, the, he's been dethroned, though, right? Joey Chestnut beats yeah, him Joey all the Chestnut's time Yeah, Joey Chestnut's even better. This is, yeah, this is the Pippin to, yeah. to Joey Chestnut's Jordan. <laughs> but still, still. All right, that's all for this week's uh, episode. Uh, if we're still on the air, please join us next week. Subscribe <laughs> wherever you subscribe to uh, podcasts. Please share the excitement that this podcast exists on your favorite social media account. Uh, we will talk to all you next week. Appreciate it.